Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads, and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. May be seated. God admonishes you in the gospel reading today to make the best use of the time because the days are short. Or, as the epistle reading says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so that's what God does when he admonishes us. He warns you and he instructs you. He warns you on the one hand with those who try to make excuses, and he comforts you on the other with the great generosity and mercy of your Lord, who clothes you with himself and gives you a place at his banquet. So the lesson starts off with Jesus. We hear, again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Now, getting into this parable, a little context is warranted for us to recall and consider today, and we hear and meditate upon what God says to us. You notice it says, and again, Jesus began to speak to them in parables. So right before our reading today, Matthew chapter 21, the previous chapter, ends with the parable of the tenants. You remember that parable? A master planted and owned a vineyard and sent his servants to get his fruit when the time came for it to be harvested. The tenants whom the master leased the vineyard to, beat one servant, killed another, and stoned another. Again, the master sent servants, this time even more, and they did the same to them. Then finally, the master sent his son, thinking, they will respect my son. Then something terrible happens, as if what happened already wasn't terrible. Jesus said in the parable, but when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him, And have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now, right after that, then, is the telling point where Jesus kind of summarizes a lot of this and followed it with a question, and the people answered his question. Jesus said, When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And then finally, after all this, right before our gospel reading, Jesus tells what this is about, warning them and what will take place. Jesus said, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parable, they perceived that he was talking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet." So that's the backdrop of what leading into the parable today. And now then, today's parable picks up. And there are two parts then to this parable at the beginning of Matthew chapter 22. The first part deals with our Lord's rejection, which serves as a warning to us. So listen again to the parable told by the Lord. 
The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And again, other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. And then the excuses come. And that's how the devil likes to operate. He likes us to package our sinful thoughts and actions with what appear to be reasonable to the world or to our own reason, or even sometimes to have an element of good to them, right? You've got to go do these things. We're busy in this life. But that's a tactic. It's a sinister tactic to take our eyes off the king and what he does as it's not that complicated. It's not a complicated parable that Jesus teaches us today. Here's this king. He invites the people to a wedding feast he's thrown for his son. It's a glorious feast, and they rejected it. They rejected the gracious invitation of the king who showed them kindness, who showed them mercy, and they wanted nothing to do with it. They gave excuse after excuse. And so the king responds. Jesus tells us the king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. But what happened after this then? Did the king cancel the feast? Did he simply just throw up his hands and say, you know what, I shouldn't have bothered these people. They're busy. They got a lot going on with their businesses, their farms, and those things. No. The king desired people to be there to celebrate the wedding of his son. So Jesus tells us, Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. So even despite the excuses, even despite the rejection of the invitation to this wedding feast, the king is still gracious. The king desires the wedding feast to have guests fill the hall. Now I think it's pertinent for us to have a bit of a side discussion here because it relates to our text this morning and I think it's warranted. I've been getting many questions lately regarding what's going on in the Middle East. And you see it all over Facebook. No matter how much you try to look at all the angles, it's terrible. War is terrible. People killing each other, dying at the hands of one another is terrible. And what is perhaps even more terrible and deadly though is when well-meaning people try to draw God into this fight and think that somehow this is part of God's greater plan with Israel. So today's gospel reading, though, helps make this point very clear. Jesus is addressing the religious leaders of the day. They're Jewish leaders and people who heard Jesus preach. They saw him fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. They saw him work miracles that pointed to him as the Son of God and yet they rejected him. They made excuses. They sought to kill Jesus, and they crucified the Son of God. The people rejected the invitation of the king. So later on then in that parable, when Jesus sends out, or the king sends out the, pe- the servants to the main roads and invites to the wedding feast, as many as you find, you see that the gospel goes out to all nations. It's bigger than just some group of people. Still, there were some Jews who did believe in Christ during his life. The apostles, the disciples, many others. 
There were some, even after his death, resurrection and ascension, those who continued in that line of faith, who trusted the word of God that had been given to them of of old, even going all the way back to Adam and Eve. St. Paul himself testifies to this as well. He was one of them. The Gentiles heard the gospel and were brought into the church. So the new Israel is the church. It's people from all nations and languages whom the Holy Spirit has worked faith in Christ and gathered as his people, receiving the word and sacraments. Now, Romans 10 and 11 address how Israel rejected the Christ, how he was a stone of offense to them, which Jesus also brought up in that uh, chapter prior to our gospel reading. So when you look at the world today and you see all this stuff going on, how are you as Christians supposed to view Israel? Well, it's a twofold answer. The first is that you must understand who the new and true Israel is now and who will be even unto life everlasting. So who is the new Israel? It's you. You're the church. You're God's people. Because God's people are those who believe in Christ, just like it was in the Old Testament. They look forward to his coming, trusting those promises, and anticipated it with great yearning and joy. And now Christ has come, and he has accomplished your salvation. Faith in Christ saved them in the Old Testament, just like faith in Christ saves you now. So the second part, then, is how you should view Israel as one that's seen through a political lens. Now, I don't mean this in terms of like a Republican-Democrat thing, but in a way that views it as a nation of the world. So like England, Germany, Spain, Israel is a nation. It's a nation that is a strong ally of ours, and we have good relations and trade. So we view them in this way. Yes, they do have history and historical places in the Bible, but that does not give them any special standing. If, God forbid, Israel would be wiped off the map, it would not do any harm or damage to your Christian faith. Think about the temple. Jesus fulfilled the temple, and and he is the temple built not with hands. And God used political powers to destroy the temple and to level Jerusalem because they rejected Jesus. And Jesus references that in this parable today and the parable before it in Matthew 21. So what should be then your attitude toward Israel? Well, don't go the other direction and persecute them or wish them harm. That's wrong, too. But instead, do as Jesus teaches you to do for all people. And what is that? Pray for them. Pray for peace because war is terrible. Pray for the people on both sides that they do not seek to harm one another. And pray especially that Christ would be proclaimed to all. That that message would go out to the roads, the highways, the byways. That people hear the gospel. That they repent of their sins and trust in Christ as their Savior. God commands you in 1 Timothy 2, 1-4, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So as you hear all these things in the news, then, pray for everyone. But don't let that take your gaze off of Christ. Salvation is found only in him. So now then, with all of this, as our Lord is teaching us today and with these parables, examine your life. See and know that the invitation goes out. See that it goes out to you and calls to you to see your life before God. 
The epistle reading today warns you about your life in this world, and it's written to those who are baptized. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So your lives then are to be lived with this in mind. Take this to heart, what God says to you today. Look around you, look at your own life. Your life is short. The days are short. The days are also evil, God says. So he flat out says, don't be a fool. But live each day when you get up in the morning as one who remembers and lives what God has called you to be as his baptized child. And know full well that the mercy of God is towards you as you have been called out of this world and into the kingdom of God, which has no end. So go about your day as one who understands it's a gift that you can get up in the morning and even have air to breathe and daily bread to feed your body. That's nothing short of God's mercy and his care for you in this life. Each and every day, even if at times we forget it or we, we, we don't want to think about it, God still is merciful to you. So when you go about your work or the things you have on your list for the day, complete them as someone who is wise in the ways of God, not using a day and your work as a cover-up for evil, but rather serving your neighbor and as a fruit of your faith in Christ. And know, too, that this goes out. That the, oh, we hear then again, too, that when the king came to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So as you take all of these things to heart too, and when you're tempted to forget the things of God or trust or start turning your back on the Lord and his church and making lame excuses, then think long and hard about this man in the reading. He was thrown out into the outer darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. I always jokingly tell people that's the place where mint chocolate chip ice cream dwells, weeping and gnashing of teeth. He didn't have a wedding garment. Some commentators have written how it was not uncommon for a host to give a garment to his guest at the feast. But this man was lacking. He wanted to be at the feast, but on his own terms. And he didn't belong. So think about that then, too, and be warned now so that it's not you on the day when you stand before the Lord. Do you want the Lord to look at you and judge you based on your own self, based on your own merits? Well, when you look at yourself and you see you don't belong at the feast. So where does that leave you in all of this today? Where is the comfort? Where is the assurance? Well, the king threw a wedding feast for his son and wanted people to come to the feast. The king was generous and rejoiced at the marriage of his son. It all comes back to God's mercy then, doesn't it? You see in your life that God has called you his own, that he's given you a place at the feast here in the church now, and he points you to that eternal feast to come. Based on your own self, though, you see where you desire to be. You see those times where you have ignored God's invitation or simply put it else in place of it. But when you humble yourself, you see there's nothing more important than Christ and his word, and then everything else starts to fall into place. No excuse, then, is reasonable. 
Nothing else matters in comparison with the eternal things of God, the things that are sure and certain, even unto life everlasting. Fixing your eyes on Christ crucified, you see that you indeed have a place before God because of him and because of his work for you. Understanding and believing the gospel, you would do whatever it takes to hear God's word and receive his sacraments, for this is the medicine of immortality. And this is all in humility as you place your sin on Christ who has atoned for it. So rather than puffing your chest out and standing proudly before God's throne, you stand justified, covered with the robe of Christ's righteousness, and claim no merit except the merit of Jesus, who has lived, died, and has risen again for you, because God has clothed you with the wedding garment of his Son, and you stand righteous and spotless, without blemish or stain before him. The confidence you have is found in Christ, your bridegroom. So beautifully, then, that call goes out from the servants. All is ready, and it's here right now. Don't make excuses, but go to where Christ has promised to be for you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the right unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So Jesus is right. Many are called, but few are chosen. But you see, he's talking about you. This parable from Matthew is referenced in the formula of Concord in our Lutheran confessions. It's in the article on election. And it takes a great deal from a sermon Martin Chemnitz preached on it. But this morning and every time when you read and hear this parable, know who God is and what he says about you. You're his. He's called you. God is merciful towards you in Christ. So taste and see that this means you. You are his chosen people. You're the new Israel, the church. This feast is for you, as God has given you his word, your baptism, confession and absolution, the Lord's Supper, to not only assure you that you are his chosen people, but to give it to you through these means. So when the devil tries to stare these things in your face and say, how do you know God is for you? You're not one of those people. Remember, many are called, but few are chosen. Who is that? That's you. I'm baptized into Christ. So rejoice that God is at work in your life even now. Rejoice that it gives you great comfort and consolation. So these words of Jesus today humble you, but they also exalt you. Because you see your Lord has called you as his own. He forgives your sin and he keeps calling you. He's chosen you as his own, so don't doubt that for one minute. Because you are God's people. Rejoice. All is ready. Feast now and feast forever. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.